Good morning. You know, as, as we were singing that song, um, You Are Good, I was just kind of, I just took a, a moment in that song, and for me, it was just thinking of, of how God's goodness is being shown to us um, in this current season we're in as a church. Um, I wish each of you could see all the ways that people are stepping up behind the scenes. Uh, staff, elders, and so many of you are jumping in. And um, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, some of them, some of the things that you see are, are up on a screen like a really cool logo. Um, and some of the things are, are behind the scenes. We, we have a record number of children signed up for Camp Central, a record number of students that are going to camp. Um, just some really, really awesome stuff. There's, uh, there's so many reasons to celebrate God's goodness. And so... Um, actually, uh, we'll get to that here in just a few minutes, but I think uh, goodness and gratitude should be a regular part of our lives, and uh, so we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to also give a shout out to the dads. Very glad that you are here. Um, if you didn't make this request this year, this is what I would encourage you to request for next year, request that your family joins you at church. I think that would be um, a great gift that you could ask for. Um, is this extra loud to you, or is it, no, yeah, maybe, is it okay? It's kind of uh, ringing in my ears just a little bit, sorry. But I am getting old, and there is a constant ringing in my ears now, so. Um, uh, Chris led us last week in uh, this Psalm 23rd passage. It was a great message. Thank you, Chris. Again, one of the ways that people are stepping up in so many ways. Um, we have spent um, the last couple of weeks in the 23rd Psalm. If you're just jumping in with us today, that's no problem. We're going to wrap up this 23rd Psalm. Um, and if you're not uh, a normal churchgoer, even the 23rd Psalm might be something that you're familiar with. The Shepherd's Psalm, David as a shepherd wrote this. Um, and from the perspective of the Lord being his shepherd, um, so the shepherd wrote it as a sheep, basically, and, and that relationship that is there. In verses 1 through 4, it describes, as I said, the Lord as a good shepherd. And I got to thinking about this in particular for today. Um, it also describes how a dad has an opportunity to shepherd his family. And so I want to read this, uh, these first four verses, and I want you as a dad to put, um, this is going to, the first four verses are going to come up with blanks. I want you dads to put your name where the blanks are in place of shepherd. And, uh, and we can, I'll read it as, as though I were a child reading this. I challenged our life group leaders with this in an email last week as well, but um, just think about how, um, how blessed your family would be if you took on some of these shepherd-like qualities. My dad shepherds me. I lack nothing. My dad makes me lie down in green pastures. My dad leads me beside still waters. My dad restores and refreshes my soul. My dad guides me along right paths for the Lord's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because my dad is with me. My dad's protection and guidance comfort me. And in that, 
Dads, you are not taking the place of the good shepherd. You are simply a conduit of the the good shepherd working through you in the lives of your family. Um, So let me just kind of press pause briefly and say, what would it look like for you as a dad? Don't, don't read through that and feel shame or guilt for all the ways that you, you may feel like you fall short. Um, but maybe zero in on one of those shepherd like qualities. What would it look like for you as a dad this summer to say, that's a quality, that's a shepherd quality that I want to really highlight and lean into and grow in, um, this summer. So I just want to challenge you with that. Those are the first four verses. It's a beautiful picture of who God is for us. And as we are to multiply that um, in this world that we're in. And I want us to turn our attention to uh, the last two verses and of this 23rd Psalm. And so I'll read those, verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This series um, is is what we have kind of named, I Don't Need a Thing, and it's based upon with the shepherd caring for us as a sheep. We can echo David's words in saying, I lack nothing. He provides all that I need. Um, So it's 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 a pretty bold and audacious claim, especially in our world that is constantly craving and striving for more, just to reach this place of deep rest and contentment and to recognize because of the shepherding that he does in our lives, we lack nothing. Um, now, in spite of this, this good news, I do want to share with you something that has, has bothered me most of my life. Um, so if you'll give me just a moment to get something off my chest. Um, I uh, spent the first 32 years of my life striving to, but never making it to, the big people's table. Um, <laughs> for 32 years, I sat at the kitty table um, during major holidays and family get-togethers. Um, just to be clear, what I'm talking about, the kitty table is usually like a card table or something that's really wobbly, that once you get to a certain size, the legs don't reach the floor, they just, it just kind of teeters on your knees as you're sitting at it. I was uh, the oldest in my immediate family, so I was the oldest sibling, I was also the oldest of all the cousins, so I was always the biggest person at the smallest table. My counselor is helping me work through some of this right now. Um, you can pray for me. No. Um, but I would look longingly at the big people's table. They would always have it close enough because um, they needed to keep an eye on us. And plus, I, I you know, always needed my mom to cut up the meat for me. And um, so I would, be, uh, I, would, I would look at the big people's table and I would think, what is it that I'm lacking? How big do you have to be? to be at the big people's table. And it dawned on me, it took a long time for me to figure this out, but the key to getting to the big people's table is a spouse. And I thought, that's, I gotta get me one of those. Um, uh, And so, thus began my search to get married, um, all because I wanted to sit at the big people's table. Okay, that's not entirely true. 
but it's more true than you know. Um, <laughs> this, um, this whole psalm, and specifically what we're going to look at today that even mentions a table, this whole thing is predicated on this one um, requirement, and that is that you are in a relationship. A relationship. Now, I'm not talking marriage relationship. I'm talking relationship with God. What is described here? This look at that good dad on Father's Day. Way to go! Yeah. <laughs> um, with uh, I have no idea. Okay. This what we are reading here in the 23rd Psalm is for those of us who have a relationship with God the Father. We have submitted ourselves into this relationship, and because of that, we get the benefits of what we could refer to as the big people's table. So if you don't yet have that relationship, I hope that some of what we're going to go through today will lead you to think maybe that's a step that I would be willing to take. So um, I want to invite you to the big people's table with the good shepherd. And before we go any further, I want to, I want to pray, and then we're going to walk back through verses 5 and 6. All right, so good father, good shepherd. I pray that this room will be a green pasture where we can be fed and satisfied. I pray that we will experience the quiet stream of spirit-filled community and that we would find rest and refreshment for our souls over these next few minutes. And I also pray, Father, that we would lead such a, um, such a deep, compelling, meaningful life as sheep that others will desire to be um, in your fold, to join your flock. Father, I, I ask uh, for your blessings, for your spirit to fall fresh on us. May your voice be heard loudest in Jesus' name. Amen. So it begins with, this verse begins with, you prepare a table before me which sounds great. That's good news. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which is kind of like, oh, bummer. Well, you know, why did he have to include that? It's, it started so well. Um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we've had this shepherd sheep analogy going all the way through this. And so you might be thinking, do, how does this relate to sheep? Does it even relate to this? Um, there's a man by the name of Philip Keller, who wrote a book um, called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. It's a real simple read. If you wanted to look it up, uh, buy you a copy. He um, is a shepherd. He was, um, that was his occupation. Um, he raised his kids up in that environment, in the home of a shepherd. And he has some really unique insights to shepherding that would be something that would kind of fly over our heads. But especially this word, you prepare a table before me. Um, at the right time of year, um, a shepherd, when the snow began to melt off of the mountains, um, in preparation for leading his sheep higher up into the mountains, um, he would, a shepherd would go and kind of scout out the area. And specifically, he wouldn't go like on a mountainside. He would go to the flatlands, the tablelands. 
And these tablelands, mesas, which is the Spanish word for table, he would, this shepherd would, would go and kind of scout this out, um, would recognize what is there that would be good for the sheep, what is there that could be dangerous for the sheep. A shepherd would know um, what type of food would be especially helpful, healthy, uh, but would also know what foods are toxic and poisonous for the sheep. Um, that would also be an opportunity for the shepherd to look for what could be any kind of um, uh, wild animals that would prey on sheep. So the shepherd goes before the sheep to prepare this tableland for the sheep. And the shepherd, the parallel is God is the good shepherd has gone before us. God is the good shepherd, has gone before us to prepare what is good and healthy and nutritious for us. In Hebrews 4, the, um, the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus in this way, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, Jesus is very familiar with enemies that we may encounter on tablelands. God goes before us. He goes before you and he knows what you may be facing. And he does his best to prepare a feast for you, for you to experience in this, um, in this season that is not trouble-free. Um, you could still be surrounded by trouble, but he is going before you and preparing this. Now, another way, another commentator that I read um, presented, I thought, a real refreshing view of this. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Rather than viewing our enemies as one that we would like to, to gain revenge against, what if we bellied up to this feast that God has for us, this feast of his goodness and his love? And what if we modeled for even our enemies what it is to be in this fold? to be loved and shown favor and blessings by the good shepherd. Rather than fighting against enemies, what if our enemies were compelled by how good the shepherd is towards us as a sheep? What if that was a way of winning the world to Christ, giving them um, a sense of hunger for the feast and the favor that comes with a relationship with God? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. Summertime, which is kind of, this psalm kind of walks us through the seasons in a sheep's life. Um, as it reaches summertime, summertime is known as fly time. Um, there would be a lot more insects at the summertime, as you would suspect. And one of the issues that could arise um, there would be flies that would attempt to lay eggs on the moist mucous membranes of a sheep's nose. And so to combat against that, a shepherd would prepare an ointment of um, olive oil, sulfur, and uh, donuts. I don't know. I lost my place on here. Um, this, uh, and spices. Olive oil, sulfur, and spices. And he would take this ointment and he would spread it over the sheep's nose and face covering his head and this was an ongoing act that would take place during these summer months this um, anointing 
is something that we read about all throughout Scripture, the anointing of someone with oil. We see it as, again, another form of God's blessing, a form of his favor. Uh, Depending on where you are in our reading plan, you would have read potentially this morning how Saul was anointed by Samuel to be king. Um, We know that David would be himself, would be anointed with oil to someday be king. So he knew this not just as a shepherd, but also as one who was anointed. Philip Keller describes how this ointment that is placed on a sheep's head will, um, will keep future flies from landing and laying eggs. What could happen if without this, anoint, uh, this ointment is that the sheep would, it would start to really drive them crazy. Once the, once the eggs are hatched and the larvae do things that are way too gross to talk about in church, um, it would really drive the sheep crazy. And sometimes the only way they could find relief would be like to bang their head up against a tree or something to just give themselves momentary relief. And so before that would happen, that's when the ointment was going on. In other words, um, to, to ward off those things that bug the sheep, an ointment was applied. And I loved how this was described in Philip Keller's book, He spoke of how there are people and things in our life that will bug us. There are things that will drive us crazy, that will distract us. And in this distracting, we will find ourselves um, responding in erratic ways. But the good shepherd has anointed us with his spirit. The good shepherd wants to continually give us his spirit that will help us even in those seasons when people and things are bugging us. When we talk about meditating on God's word and when we talk about memorizing his word and then reflecting on it through the day, that's not something that we challenge you to do because um, it's what a good Christian is supposed to do. Or if you're going to go to church, it's not enough, so you need to also do this. The reason we encourage you to do that is because by regularly applying God's word on your mind, you it is like an ointment that changes the way that you think, that changes the way that you see. It is through that that the Holy Spirit brings refreshment to us in the midst of the nagging things that are buzzing around your head you can say the lord is my shepherd in the midst of that craziness in the midst of what could be terribly distracting you can say i lack nothing because of the holy spirit's anointing on my life my cup overflows In other words, the psalmist is saying that because of the goodness of the shepherd, my cup overflows, my life overflows with blessings of goodness and love. Um, Again, as I was studying for this, I found it interesting that some commentaries talked about how it says um, the cup is overflowing, and others said actually that means it's just full but not overflowing. And I have uh, my comment on those commentaries is, who cares, right? You know, the, the Lord's blessings, are, are, they, are, are 
you know, would our lives be full to the brim? Are they full to overflowing? I say either way, that is a very good shepherd who has graced us with so many, with so many blessings. Um, when the Lord is your shepherd, you are living a blessed life. Your cup is full, maybe to the point of overflowing. The point is, you and I are receiving more than we could possibly gulp down in any one sitting. The good shepherd is filling us to the point where we are full and we are satisfied. Um, as an action step for this, um, if you are, if you're like me, where you tend to look at uh, the glass, the cup being half empty rather than um, half full, much less full to overflowing, um, I would encourage you to keep a gratitude journal. Uh, this has been something that I've had people challenge me with. I think people that just got tired of me being cynical. <laughs> and they said, you need to keep a gratitude journal. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm not cynical. I'm just a frustrated idealist is uh, what, I, what I tell people. But this gratitude journal is a, gr- a great way for us to be reminded of the goodness of God. And it doesn't have to be as formal as a journal. It could just be very simply at the end of the day on a piece of paper. You are writing down what were the ways that God showed love and goodness to you. Maybe it's just an exercise that you voice out loud with another family member or with a roommate. These are the ways that today I experienced God's goodness And when you begin to recount these things, that's when we're most inclined to realize not half full, half empty, but truly our cup is full. And you might get to the end of your day and realize it is overflowing with God's goodness. But this is a great practice for each of us to consider. What are the specific ways that God is showing goodness to you? Um, I've got a good friend who... um, I have asked, he's asked how he can support me and encourage me and and challenge me on my journey. And I said, I need help in this area. I need to pause and remember God's goodness in the midst of everything that is going on that could potentially distract me in a given day. And so this guy will send me a text at least once a week and he will say, tell me something good in your life right now. And just that simple text forces me to stop, pause, breathe. And it's so far, it's never been just one thing that I've sent back to him. So maybe you partner with other people. Maybe this is something that you do within your life group. How can you challenge each other to reflect on ways that your cup is full? Your cup is overflowing because God is good. Your cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. This word follow, I want to I paint kind of a picture for you of what this word follow means. Goodness and love. It's not like it's just trailing behind. It's not like goodness and love are the caboose on a train that gets pulled whether it wants to or not. Um, goodness and love are not like the caboose on a really long train. It's, it, yeah, it's following you, but it's way back there. This word follow literally means vigorously pursues. God's goodness vigorously pursues you. God relentlessly is on the tracks coming after you, wanting to pour himself out on you. 
There is no greater example of God's goodness vigorously pursuing you than the example of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was not the caboose at the trail end of God's plan. Jesus was not begrudgingly pulled along as a final act of what God wanted to do. It was with joy and willingness. He himself, in faith, vigorously pursued the cross. In faith, believing in God his Father, believing in that goodness, and wanting to share that goodness with us, we can say that we lack nothing. We can declare that we lack nothing because God's goodness is in hot pursuit of us. Life is good because his love is chasing after us. And then it culminates, this song culminates with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is a picture of full communion and fellowship with the Lord. It's so much of what we were singing about. I kind of wish we could have maybe taught on this first, and then I think a lot of these songs would have really come to life in you. But um, David is realizing that the one place that he would like to dwell forever is in the presence of God. Now, remember that God's house at that point um, was the place where God dwelled. Um, it was in the tabernacle um, that was uh, um, where the Ark of the Covenant was that they would go to. Eventually, the temple was built in the Holy of Holies. There was a, a place where you had to go to experience the closeness, the, uh, the presence of God. We, um, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because at the time of his crucifixion, the curtain was torn, we, we have access to God, now we can experience his presence anywhere and at any time, not just special feasts, uh, seasons of the year, anytime at all time. Just as I was saying, the shepherd would lead the sheep out. There would be times um, when he would uh, lead them through the summer months um, in, the, in the midst of these times of flies and all the distractions and the anointing with oil. But when it came time for fall and the harshness of winter, they would not stay up on these mesas. They would actually make their way back to the safety of the fold, back to the ranch. There they would dwell with the shepherd. This is that picture of safety, of care that the shepherd offers us. And uh, Jenny, you didn't know this, but in um, what I would like to, for, to read is from Psalm 84. Um, we heard it earlier, and I bet it would be great if we all heard it again. But I want you to understand how much the psalmist craved being in the presence of God. When he was in the presence of God, he was most alive. David was most David. And I hope that as I read through this, you're beginning to see that you would be most you when you are walking in awareness of, of God's presence. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young 
a place near your altar. In other words, the, these birds have an opportunity to fly and into your presence and to build a nest. And the psalmist is saying, I too want this. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So it's not for us, it's not the place, but rather the vitality of the love relationship with God that is transformational to us. I pray regularly that this would be a place, this room would be a place where you encounter God's presence and you are transformed as a result of that. But I would hate if this was the only place where you experienced God's presence because he can be found anywhere. Now, this isn't some universalist teaching where God is in everything. God is everything. I'm talking specifically the Lord Jehovah, the creator of all things, wants to reveal himself to us all throughout the day, all throughout every day. Maybe one of the most impactful and life-changing books that I read was uh, called The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, I I first read the book uh, about 20 years ago, which when I realized it was 20 years ago, it was just one of those things. You ever like voice something like that and you're like, wow, I'm getting old. That's what it was for me. Um, but it's, uh, this, this book, Practicing the Presence of God, is the story of a monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. And it's retold. Um, he, this isn't a book that he wrote, but as a result of some interviews with him. And um, he was a monk, as you would think of all monks, who spent regular, to- regular time praying and meditating on Scripture in the chapel of his monastery. But he also had a job while he was there, as every monk would have their own duties, um, responsibilities. His was in the kitchen washing dishes. So that was his daily responsibility, to, um, to pray and do dishes. And he had this desire, he kind of began asking, asking himself this question, would it be possible for me to commune as closely with God as I am washing dishes, as I do when I am focused completely on him in a time of prayer. And so he began what he referred to as a game of minutes. And he would see how long he could go thinking, consciously aware that God is with him. God's hands laid over his hands as he would wash a dish. God with him in everything that he did, all throughout the day. And he grew to a point where just that, he was attached to God in such a profound and strong way that there really was no difference between his time in the chapel and his time out of the chapel. His time washing dishes was just as much a spiritual act of worship as singing, as praying, and reading scripture. Why would someone do something like that? Why wasn't a weekly church service or a morning devotional time, why isn't that enough? It's because we are most at home. We dwell the most with the Lord when we are sharing day in and day out, all throughout the day, and we are involved in a conversation with him. 
maybe begin a game of minutes. Maybe um, it's your commute. And instead of the talk radio or whatever it is that you're using to get you through that crazy long commute, maybe for just a few minutes, you recognize God's presence right there with you. I've done some road trips before where, uh, by myself where I would pull the seatbelt over on the passenger seat and latch it as a reminder to me that I'm not by myself in that car. And this was at a time when if someone saw you talking out loud, they didn't think you were on the phone. They just thought you were crazy. <laughs> but this would be a way that I would uh, remind myself that God is here and present and now. What would your life look like if you had this ongoing conscious awareness of God's presence in your life, dwelling in the presence of the Lord forever? See, as within um, any healthy relationship, have you noticed in your healthiest relationships that time with that person can make even the most ordinary and mundane things special and meaningful? When, when Beth and I were dating, and in my mind, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to date and not be thinking through, you know, is this the one? Is this going to be my ticket to the big people's table? Things like that. Um, no, in my... As I was getting to know Beth, one of the things that really stood out to me, and, and one of many times where a light came on and I thought, I want to marry this girl, is when I realized I enjoy going to Walgreens with her. <laughs> and I know that doesn't sound romantic, it's not something that you're going to see in a movie, but we talk about that all the time. If I'm going to go to Walgreens with anybody, I want it to be with her. I enjoy even the most mundane things when she is with me. And the older we get, lo and behold, we're going to the drugstore a whole lot more. <laughs> um, in fact, Callie, the other day, we said we were going to run, pick up a prescription, and she's like, oh, another date to the pharmacy. And it's uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it's very true. When we are in a meaningful relationship with God, day in, day out, moment by moment, even the most mundane parts of your day even when you're washing dishes, will just be this moment when you sense the goodness of life. When you realize how his goodness and love is being poured out into you and your cup is full and you get to do this forever. Not just someday at the big people's table in heaven, right here, right now, feasting with him. I want to kind of lead our thoughts in the direction of communion. And I want us to see specifically Jesus' example of what we were talking about, what we've been talking about at this point. In an upper room, Jesus gathered his closest friends for a meal. For what we now know of as the Last Supper. In other words, um, Jesus prepared a meal in the presence of his enemies. There was an enemy among them. There was a seen enemy in Judas who was about to betray. Um, you could even say an enemy in someone who was a little bit too cocky, but who would go on to deny knowing him. And then, of course, the unseen enemy, Satan, who put all of these things on the hearts of them. He's setting this big people's table, 
But with this painful fact, he was about to share a meal with an enemy. John 13, 1 says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And I love this phrase, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Now understand the setting here. Jesus knew that in just a few hours, he was going to be captured, taken, imprisoned by Roman soldiers who were led by priests. Uh, Jesus knew that his closest friends were going to betray, deny, and abandon him. Jesus understood the prophecy of Zechariah 13, 7, which says this. It was unfolding in that very moment. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. In spite of that, yet he loved them to the end. Jesus, the good shepherd, is about to lay down his life for the sheep. How, given these death-looming circumstances, was Jesus able to give himself so selflessly on the behalf of us as his sheep? And the answer is in John thirteen three. Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus, knowing that he came from God the Father, and that he was about to return to God the Father, Jesus knew he lacked nothing. Jesus understood that he didn't need any more. In spite of all that was going on, he lacked nothing because he was so convinced and assured of his relationship with the Father. Communion is a powerfully and moving symbolic meal that reminds us that Jesus paid it all. And because of the good shepherd, we can say, I lack nothing. He gave his life, and now we lack nothing. In a moment, um, Jenny is actually going to sing the 23rd Psalm over you. Um, You'll have this opportunity to partake in communion And in your own time, when you are ready, um, you can partake of the bread and the cup. Again, this meal is for those seated at the table who have a relationship with God the Father. If this is a moment for you to begin that relationship, I pray that you will partake with us. If this is something that you're in process about and you have questions, I would love to talk to you as soon as the service is over. Um, and continue to mull over in your mind the goodness of the shepherd. Uh, Let me pray for you, and then the ushers will begin uh, distributing the elements. Heavenly Father, good shepherd, thank you for giving everything so that we lack nothing. As we place the bread on our tongue, as we raise the cup to our lips, we confidently declare, you, Lord, are our shepherd. We couldn't ask for more. We lack nothing. In your name, amen.